This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. The idea of submission has been hijacked. It's been misunderstood for so long. The submission that the Lord is speaking of here, it's not a demeaning idea. It's not the idea of power over another individual, one being greater than the other. We, we see throughout the New Testament how men and women are now very much on equal and level ground. The divine order is laid out in today's teaching. It starts back in Genesis, showing male and female were to have dominion over the earth. The family order is for children to obey their parents. That the head of woman is man and the head of man is Christ. These roles are given to us so that we would have order. They aren't given to us, as some might think, to torture us. When we follow these directives with a willing heart, the peace and blessings that come are amazing. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21, with part one of our message entitled, The Divine Order. Chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians, in in, in all of God's kingdom, even in the midst of chaos that's around, God brings order. We see it from the beginning as God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, took that that was without form, that that was void, and brought it all into order. We see it in all of his creation. Our God is a God of order, not of chaos. We see it in his kingdom as as he brought Israel out of uh, the nation uh, of of, uh, Egypt and brought them out of the bondage and, again, the, the confines of Egypt brought them out, and he brought them out in order. Even as they traveled through the wilderness, the chaos of the wilderness, God had the nation of Israel traveling in order. Each company, each family by name, again, through the order. And then in the evening, as they would stop and camp, God had a particular place that each family were to uh, pitch their tents all in order. God works that way. Even in the building of the tabernacle and the, later on in the temple, God had a specific way that it, he wanted it to be built. He had exacting plans. He had exacting directions for what should be there, how it should be made, and even what it should be made of. And then later he gave them clear instructions, clear directions of how he wanted to be Worship, not in the frenzy and the chaos of the pagan worship, but God wanted it to be worshipped in order and with a purpose because our God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. We even see it as he forms the church. And Paul tells Titus, if you remember in the New Testament, he says, I'm sending you there to the island of Crete in order to put everything into order. And Titus was to appoint elders and leaders within the churches there in order to bring them about, bring them into order. God desires order. Even the worship experience of the New Testament church, we read as Paul writes to the church of Corinth, a a, a church that in many ways was in an abundance of chaos. And Paul writes to them and says, right now your worship is chaos. Right now your worship is wrong, and let me help you to bring it back into order. Paul declares in that same passage, he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Our God is a God of order, not of chaos. We see it in the relationship of the Trinity even. 
all being equally God, yet with a willing submission to the other. Jesus declares that he did all that the Father commanded him to do. In John 16, Jesus tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to speak of himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Thus, we see all through Scripture, the Holy Spirit submitted to the Son, the Son committed to the Father, all three of them equal parts of the Godhead, truly part of the mystery of God, yet once again showing that our God is a God of order. And so it should come as no surprise to us at all that as God lays out the foundation of the relationships of marriage and of family and even of society, his desire that it would symbolize his relationship with his people. It was to be a relationship of order and not of chaos. The focus of it all, I believe, is about the order of God's kingdom. You need to understand, we we can buck this system. We can buck against God's design. We can try to avoid it in every way possible. We can declare that it's not even valid anymore for today's enlightened society. But when we do that, we risk chaos in our lives. We risk chaos within our society. We risk chaos within our families all being outside of God's rule, God's order. The very first portion of what we're going to be reading this morning, let's look at the first couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 21. And I know we covered verse 21 last week, but I believe it's also a part of this next section. It flows right into it. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I agree with uh, Kent Hughes in his commentary on uh, Ephesians about this particular portion of the passage. He writes that the exposition of this brief text must be done with measured care and frankly with some trepidation. In discussing the subject, one runs the risk of being misunderstood and possibly vilified. I agree with him on this point simply because there's so much misunderstanding in both the world and the church on what this passage says and more than that on on the purpose of of this passage and how it's meant to be played out within the life of a family. I've I've seen it from both ends of the spectrum. Women who refuse to listen to the whole counsel of God's word, and so they misunderstand the message and the intent, and they place themselves in one of two extremes. Number one, they either allow themselves to become absolute doormats to the whims and to the impulses of insecure husbands who command that every part of their life is under his control. Every move that they make, every expenditure that they make, every activity they're involved in, even all the way down to what and how they should dress. 
On the other end of that spectrum are those that rebel against what they think the word is saying. And so they, they reject even the notion of the order of the responsibilities that are given by God to all of his creation. And so they live in this constant rebellion. They're never at peace, and they suffer the consequences of their decisions and of that rebellion. I believe that the one uh, thing that this text shows to us is, again, that God is a God of order. It's his divine order, planned and purposed by God. Biblical submission, in any sense of the word, as we look at what biblical submission declares, it's never, ever synonymous with oppression, never, ever synonymous or meaning the same thing as dominance. Yet there is the biblical call for dominance or for having dominion. But it's not a dominion over each other within the family unit. God gave dominion over the earth to both man and woman. We look back in the book of Genesis, that book of beginnings, and we read in chapter 1 these words. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this dominion is is not a husband over his wife, but a dominion literally of humanity over all of creation. Even the word there that's used to subdue. It has the meaning of putting everything into proper order. And because God is a God of order, because he desires, uh, again, that we obey out of obedience rather than out of constraint, I, I believe that that's the reason that this whole section begins with verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. That relationship of, of husband and wife should be a submitted, it should be a committed relationship blessed by God, mutually entered into by each party for the glory of God, declaring to each other a, a commitment and a mutual love and a mutual service to each other. The very first thing that needs to be seen before we can go any further and before we can really gain a good understanding of this text is what does the text say? What exactly does he say? Verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Again, in an overall view, we need to see that what Paul is speaking of is this orderly fashion that God desires within the home and, yeah, even in society. And we see a, a pattern of submission that's shown all throughout this section. Here in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. In chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Still in chapter 6, down in verse 5, bondservants, be obedient to your masters. That's a clear call of, of order. And each of these as they're submitted, 
there is a similar yet a different command to the opposite group. In chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In chapter 6, verse 4, fathers or, or parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Down in verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, Masters, treat your servants well, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. This whole passage is a declaration of order, a declaration of order to a world that is totally out of order. And God comes in with his plan to bring out of that chaos a peace and an order. Every level of our Christian experience, there should be that orderliness. There should be that demonstration of God's kingdom within our lives in every relationship that we have. The idea of submission has been hijacked. It's been misunderstood for so long. The submission that the Lord is speaking of here, it's not a demeaning idea. It's not the idea of power over another individual, one being greater than the other. We, we see throughout the New Testament how men and women are now very much on equal and level ground. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what is this biblical idea of submit? I believe that it means to subordinate, and I know that that word you might think well doesn't that mean the same thing well it's 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 much in the same ways within the military an individual of a lower rank has to submit or subordinate to those that are ranked above them and even though an individual might be smarter or more experienced than those that are ranked above him he still must submit himself to those who are in authority, and all of this in order to maintain order. If an individual were to go against this system in the military, it would be called insubordination, wouldn't it? Another name for it is called mutiny. There would be great confusion if there wasn't a system of rank and order. And in the same way, society is thrown into confusion and chaos if there is no order. And yet, at the same time, a general in the military or a leading officer within the military, I think he'd be foolish if he didn't take into account the insight, the expertise, the giftings of those that are of lesser rank, working together with those. In the discussion of order within the family, we can't dilute, we can't do away with the understanding that the husband and the wife are called to be one flesh working in harmony with, with each other's strengths and, yeah, even with each other's weaknesses. We work together in those, in every aspect of our relationship as husband and wife. In the Christian home, God has ordained that the man be the head of the home, not in a way of lording it over everyone else, but with that understanding of his responsibility before God for the direction and for the spirit of that household. And the wife is to submit to this leadership. It says that she is to submit as to the Lord. Now to help us understand that a little bit better, I want to look at a parallel passage that Paul wrote in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, down in verse 18, you don't need to turn there, but simply he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands 
as is fitting in the Lord. Very similar words, but I believe the intent of it brings it out a little bit clearer in the Colossians passage. Paul isn't saying that the wives are to submit to the husbands as if they are the Lord. That's not what he's saying. The idea is that when you submit to your husband, you're honoring the Lord. We find a very similar thought just a couple of verses down in that same Colossians passage where Paul writes in verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Ladies, when you submit yourselves to your husbands, you're honoring the Lord and you're recognizing his plan and his design. As David Guzik says on this, he says, As to the Lord doesn't define the extent of the wife's submission. It doesn't define the limit of a wife's submission. It defines the motive of the wife's submission. As to the Lord. One more thing while we're still back in, in, in Ephesians, while we're still in verse 22. Some have interpreted that submit to your own husband's. To mean that a woman should, should never work outside the home since she would have to submit to someone else who's not her own husband. And well basically that's just a bad interpretation of what this verse says. If a husband and a wife decide that the wife shouldn't work outside the home, that's fine. But this particular verse has nothing to do with the wife working outside the home. The focus is on their relationship together. The problem today is that lack of submission to the leadership of the husband as God designed. And so the flow of the next two verses there in Ephesians comes into play. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, Paul is definitely speaking in, in reference to the roles of husband and wife. The husband, by virtue of God's plan, not because of his own merit. You understand that, right? It's not because we necessarily deserve that at all, but it's God's plan. It's God's purpose. It's the order of God. The husband is put in a place of great responsibility. Paul's drawing a parallel between the idea of Christ and the church. Christ is the head of the church, the savior of the body. The church is subject to him in all things. Christ doesn't rule us with a, a rod of iron, but out of the depths of his love, out of his great concern for us, he reigns and rules over the church. And as the wife is submitted to her husband, so the husband is committed in love to his wife. Paul continues on in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I feel that it is, or at least should be, the greater and the deeper of the two directives here for the husband. 
The husband's love, the husband's commitment to his wife is to be as deep a love and a deep of commitment as he will ever make, second only to his love and his commitment to Christ. The commitment of a husband's love for his wife is to be an idea of total sacrificial love. This is the agape type of love that we read about all throughout the New Testament. It's it's a love that is self-sacrificial. It's a love that does not need to be reciprocated, not because of what she's doing, I'm loving her. No, I am committed in my love for her. Love is a choice that we make. If it's just a feeling, there will come times when that feeling's not there. But we make the commitment to love. It's a love even in spite of. And then you can fill in the blank, whatever that might be. If that's the heart, if, if that's the motive of the husband, if that's the way he truly responds to the wife, then I don't think the wife would ever fear being in submission to him. But if she fears he'll take advantage of her submission, she's going to struggle with being obedient to the Lord's command in her own life. Because she's not able to do that because of the fear that's there. Christ's commitment to the church was total. He was all in. He loved the church so much that he died proving it. Showing the greatness of his love. He committed to the church in order that he would have a a holy bride without blemish. He loved her enough to sacrifice his life in order that she would be clean and pure. And as Paul makes the statement, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, this is an all-out commitment and love that as husbands we need to have for our wives. So husbands, it kind of begs the question, how much have you sacrificed for your wife? What kind of a heart do you really have in that relationship? Or are you looking for her to serve you and it's all about you? The purpose of Christ's love for the church was to make certain that the church was holy and without blemish. And this could only be done as Christ gave himself as that complete sacrifice. What Paul is not saying, he's not saying that the husband can make his wife sanctified. No. And he's not saying a husband can cleanse his wife or present her spotless or wrinkle-free. We're not able to do that, okay? That's the cleansing work of Christ in her life because of all that Christ has done for her. Paul continues on with the husband's responsibility here in verse 28. He says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Now, again, you need to understand this isn't some narcissistic thing that's going on. As a matter of fact, it takes the ego completely out and it points the emphasis of the union of husband and wife as one flesh. Martin Lloyd-Jones declares, the husband must realize that his wife is a part of himself. He will not feel this instinctively. He has to be taught it. And the Bible in all parts teaches it. In other words, the husband must understand that he and his wife are not two, they are one. I believe that when husbands begin to understand that, 
then their love and their commitment for their wives would be much greater. Husbands, although we're distinct in God's creation, each one of us, we're not isolated, we're not detached. We need to think, we need to act as a whole together with our wives. We see it so clearly as Paul goes on in verse 30. He says, for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Did you catch that? He said that we are members, speaking of the husband and the wife together. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.